Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Kara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll Bennett. And we are obsessed with flipping puberty positive. Puberty is a stage of life best described as a roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts. It happens to literally every human being on earth. And it shouldn't be cringy. It should feel, you know, pretty comfortable. Which is why we started this podcast and a newsletter and why we film slightly ridiculous but informative social media videos. It's why we have a brand that makes clothes that literally feel so comfortable and why we write books too. Our latest is This Is So Awkward, Modern Puberty Explained. We have built a universe of puberty positivity and it all started with this podcast. We are so happy that you're here. Something different today, Vanessa. I can't wait for people to hear Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers, the hosts of Pantsuit Politics. It's a totally different direction for the Puberty Podcast, but this conversation, much like Sarah and Beth themselves, took all sorts of turns into overlapping territory. So one of the things that we've been thinking a lot about is that we're entering an election year. And having lived through this already in the past two election cycles, we know it can be really stressful for families, stressful in conversations with kids, conversations for ourselves in family gatherings and extended family situations. And we went straight to the experts for guidance on how to weather the next several months intact with respect with open-mindedness, with love, and also to understand how different people build community around civic engagement 
and what they want for their children in terms of their relationship to community and identity and politics. And Sarah and Beth spend all of their time and energy, both professionally and personally, answering those questions. And it's a fascinating conversation and a hilarious one. I mean, they're so funny. So enjoy. Enjoy. Hi, Sarah and Beth. We are so happy to have you. We're so happy to be here. Thrilled to be here. Cara's just smiling widely because we're going to talk about... Because she's a fan and we're going to talk about politics. And so it's all very exciting to Cara. I just want to If it's not exciting to you, don't panic. Don't panic. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it exciting. We have a very different approach. It's okay. So as you heard in our intro... Sarah and Beth host Pantsuit Politics. I won't go back through their whole bio, but they have a podcast about real conversations about politics, kind of like what we do for puberty. And also Mm -hmm. they really like alliterations like we do. So that makes (laughs) us happy. The other thing that I've noticed, and this is really fascinating to me, is you use and enjoy parenthetical asides with the same passion that we do. So both of your books, and I've mentioned them in the intro, but I'll say them again. Now what, how to move forward when we're divided, parentheses, about basically everything, close parentheses. And then I think you're wrong, parentheses, but I'm listening, (laughs) close parentheses. And I love that because I think it's an approach to life. I think Mm. like employing parentheses is symbolic of a larger approach to life. I don't think Cara and I write a sentence without a set of or, or a double dash. It's all about the qualifiers. It's either a double dash. <laughs> or, and that is where I want to start, which is talking to kids about politics, navigating our socio-cultural reality in the current era is so complicated and there is no straightforward way to approach it that we need parentheses and we need asides and we need the double dash because there is no one right answer. And there are so many qualifying aspects to it and so many asides. And you two are here to help us do that and to help guide people as we enter a presidential election cycle, which will undoubtedly be bananas in all caps. Help the folks listening navigate politics the same way we help them navigate puberty. So where to begin? What is your like opening salvo, your best first step treading into this topic of kids and politics? Well, I want to say I don't just write in parentheticals. I also speak in parentheticals. So I will <laughs> I will go in a, in a sentence and I'll be like, wait, I want to talk about, oh, wait, uh, but I, so just tr- keep up everybody. I apologize because that's, <laughs> That's also how I speak. I actually think this presidential election is going to be more like a deflated balloon. (gasps) I hope so. I think everybody's so bummed that the candidates might be Biden and Trump and people are just opting out at a shocking rate of like news coverage and political coverage. And it bums me out because I feel like there's enough of that energy, particularly when you're talking to young people and teenagers, this sort of like, LOL, nothing matters. I should confess, I got into a Facebook fight about this, which I try not to do anymore. I really do. I'm, try- I'm coming on here is saying it public? like, uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is public. 
<laughs> or coming on here saying like, we have a different approach. We stay calm. And here I am confessing immediately to some Facebook nudging, but <laughs> that's okay. It's the theme of our show. Do, yeah, it's just, okay. You know, uh, but I got into it because I like, you know, adults that do this over and over again, like, oh, it's just the end times, death of an empire, like that LOL. Well, I'll be on Amazon shopping for hats for my dog, like LOL, nothing matters. <laughs> and finally, I said, like, I kind of got, I got a little scoldy. I won't lie. And finally, I was like, you know, it just bums me out. What is my 14-year-old supposed to take away from that? Like, what is he supposed to hear when all the adults around him and a lot of people he listens to on the internet are saying, LOL, nothing matters. Like, I really hate it. I think it's a really damaging sort of vibe, energy we have around news and politics and the world in general. I don't think it's true. I think lots of things matter. I don't think it's the end times. I think people don't read enough history if they think this is a tough time to be alive and be a human and be raising kids. Like what I said in this Facebook exchange is like, I'm a 42-year-old woman and I haven't buried any children. I'm an exception among my female ancestors. Mm. An exception. You know, like you didn't get to 40, you barely got to 42, much less got to 42 without burying like, you know, three to four babies along the way. Mm -hmm. And so I just try to like keep that perspective. And I really try to always not just preach that perspective, but talk through that perspective with my kids because they can, especially my 14-year-old can definitely soak up that energy we have around news and politics, the exhaustion, the frustration, the anxiety, all of that is just the water we swim in. And so I'm always trying to offer a life preserver or a a ladder out of the water altogether to him and my my two other sons. Well, you know, Sarah, what you're describing is almost sort of the teenage brain and how it's developed, right? You're describing very short-term, impulsive, emotionally driven behavior, communication. And we expect that of tweens and teens and 20-somethings. But we don't expect that of adults who have Mm -hmm. fully developed brains and should be able to think long-term and consequentially. And, you know, I couldn't agree with you more that it is a tremendous letdown to not put that modeling in place because when you get to a certain point in brain development, you're supposed to be able to think about the big picture and to pull the lens back and make good long-term decisions. And it does feel like there's tremendous apathy right now. And like everyone's reverting to the limbic system, right? Mm -hmm. And it feels wrong. Yeah, I work really hard to think about the fact that I am, in addition to raising a person who will eventually be a parent herself and who will have a career, I'm raising a citizen. Yeah, And so I want her to be in it for this country and its future instead of just opting out of things and instead of feeling a a sense of complete despair. My version of what Sarah said about being an exception among her ancestors, occasionally my 12-year-old will say, just kind of feels like everything's falling apart. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, it does. And they used to burn smart women like us at the stake because they thought we were witches. (laughs) So we can get through this moment, you know, and I believe in us. We have made lots of progress. That is one way to put stuff in perspective. Oh my God, that is amazing. But the other thing I really teach my sons too is, and and I say this to adults too, just like everything else in parenting, everything else. And when we're always trying to pull ourselves out of that limbic system, even when we have a fully developed prefrontal cortex, right? Like it's a practice. So, you know, we do our our podcast on our regular feed and then we have a premium channel and I do a news brief every morning. And probably about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I started a practice of every Thursday, it's the good news brief. 
And I don't mean like this community pay to kids' medical bills. No shade to that. But that's like not good news as I define it. Good news is positive trends. Mm-hmm. Problems that got a lot of coverage when they were a crisis and almost no coverage when they're getting solved. And so like I really try to... It's, I don't even have to try. I don't have to hunt that hard for those stories. Yeah. But it is a practice. It's a muscle I've built recognizing them. Like seeing, oh, see that? See that positive story right there? Like that's not going to get as much play as the negative one. And I try to teach my kids that same thing. Like, see, look, you don't see coverage that the global poverty rate has dropped tremendously in the last four years. Like you don't see that. That's not going to make a headline, but it's true. Uh, same for the infant mortality rate. Same for like, I, I get really frustrated because I think so many young people and myself are so frustrated with climate change. But the Inflation Reduction Act is a bad name for a generational investment in climate progress. And it just is hard to cover. It's hard to get people's attention on. So right. my son and I talk about that all the time because it's those narratives get set. Industries are built around those narratives. And when tremendous change comes along, it takes a while for the coverage to shift. It takes a while for the narrative to shift. And so, I mean, that media literacy is so important, but it's not just important around music and video games. It's also important around the news and teaching them like what to look for, what to pay attention to, what to note. And I think that's really important with news and politics. I love that point because helping kids understand why certain things get covered, why certain things get attention, and other things don't, and how their news feeds get sort of tailored and how the algorithms work and how Mm -hmm. all different people in charge make choices about what gets covered. I think that's a really important point, Sarah. I want to go deeper with what you both said and relate it to Cara's point, which is like developmentally, kids this age, and you have kids this age, and we have kids this age and older, they're kind of fascinating because they're like, both mind-blowingly profound and perceptive. Like you're like, oh my God, I can't believe you just noticed that or thought of that. And then other times they're like so concrete that you're basically like, pick up the shoe, untie the shoelace, put your foot (laughs) inside, find the ends of the laces, right? And so balancing like how we expose them to information and how we educate them and how we instill values in them, it's like, it has to be multifaceted because sometimes they get it. And sometimes they're like, no, wait, I don't know what that word means. Especially in a world where fear mongering gets headlines, especially in a world where clickbait is clickbait and clickbait is almost always negative. So how do you guys recommend balancing the kind of vast... (laughs) spectrum of where kids are and like how they're able to process information and and understand complex things and intense topics. I think this is where the parentheticals are super helpful because you just kind of have to surf your kid's mood. What version Mm -hmm. of this child am I talking to right now? And what can they handle in this moment? Mm -hmm. And what are they really asking me? Because sometimes my daughter will come home from school. She has been so on fire for about six months about her friend's feelings about TikTok Mm. because she's heard from me that I think TikTok has security risks. You know, she's heard from me about sort of that big picture. What are our responsibilities as TikTok? And her friends just won't have it. And she's so frustrated about that. 
sometimes when she brings me that conversation, she really wants to dig into, now who owns this and why are we concerned about it? But sometimes she's just annoyed that her friends aren't listening to her. Mm -hmm. And so I have to really pause before I start to respond to just wait a second and let her reveal to me what the conversation actually needs to be. Beth, do you want to host the puberty podcast? I'm sorry. I'm obsessed with the phrase surf your kids moods. That is an outstanding description. I think more people need to surf my moods. That's what I think. That's what I'm taking. <laughs> Sarah, I don't statement. think it's, I don't know you that well, but I don't think it's that hard to figure out. No, that's you, true. You I'll strike me like me, which is like, <laughs> I'm, I'm an open book. We're like, we're going to put it all out there for you and you can decide if you want to engage or not, but it's not going right. to be a mystery how we, That's exactly how right. we, how we feel. But well, there is was, a question was, coming for you, which is. Okay. Well, I, ha- I have to something to add though for, to what Beth said really quickly. Did y'all read three, two, one magic or is it one, two, three oh, magic? Yes. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. No. It's a really good book. <laughs> it's for littles primarily. But the piece of that book that I think is so applicable way past when they're little. It's like a, it's like a, you know, you, you count down, you're like three, two, one, and this is the consequence instead of um, what they say parents do all the time, which is like intellectualize and try to explain to kids. Like, I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't do this. And then of course me conveying that information to you will be enough. And then we will all move forward into the promised land. And you read that book and you're like, oh my God, I do that all the time. (laughs) Like I just, I talk for a living. Of course, my first impulse is to talk my kids through something like I'm just going to explain why what you're doing is not great. And I'm going to explain why I'm right. And then I have conveyed this information to you and that should be enough. And then um, we're done. And it's and all going to be here. solved. And I don't understand why you are still not picking your shit up off the floor after I so clearly conveyed to you why I feel disrespected when you leave your stuff on the floor. And I'm not going to uh, stop talking. I'm just yeah. going to keep on going. Till I'm going to keep talking. Yeah. It's going to be great. Mm, yeah. I think about that book all the time. I think it's so relevant. <laughs> To exactly what you asked, which is I just have to remind myself, like, everything can't be a conversation with them. Yeah. If I want them to learn and understand, everything can't be me explaining it. Like, that should be, like, one minor tool in my toolbox. So my son and I get in ongoing conversations. He's very political. I always tell people, like, I used to joke that there would be no Alex P. Keatons allowed in my household, but I did not expect to be transformed into the Alex P. Keaton, which is what has actually happened. He has gone so far to the left of me that now I'm the conservative, which, again, did oh, not see that coming. Fascinating. We're going to dig into that a little bit later. Did not We're going to talk about coming. teen boys in a minute. So he, you know, he'll say thing. He really hates capitalism. That's his biggest beat. Capitalism is the source of all evil mm. and any ca- form of capitalism is really bad and So we got into it one night and, you know, he was talking about homelessness and he's always had a heart for the homeless. He was a little baby on that. We would travel and he would see a homeless person. He would burst into tears like, what do you mean? Why don't they have a house? And he still is like that. And he would get he gets so upset about it. And I said, look, it's more complicated than that. Your father is an attorney. He occasionally evicts people. The world holds some hard, complicating things. So how about this? How about if you have a heart for this, how about less anti-capitalist YouTube and more you can go volunteer at our local food pantry? Mm. And so now he does. He goes and every week after school, he goes to our food pantry and he volunteers for about two hours. And it has made a marked difference mm. because I could have had this conversation with him about the complications of capitalism and the difficult politics of homelessness, or he could have gone 
and done something. Like I was really, I really try to find outs. So it's not just more talking and more talking and more talking and more talking. Even though I love talking, it's how I pay my bills. How his father pays his bills as an attorney. But like, there is a limit to that, especially with my boys. And I really try to figure out like, how can we put this in your cells in a way that's more impactful than just more explaining? It's show, don't tell. Yes, yes. But Beth, how do you do that when your daughter comes home and she's like, I mean, seventh grade is a really special moment in... (laughs) It's Vanessa's favorite grade. In everyone's life. (laughs) Those of us who lived it once and those of us who are parenting through it. So like she comes home and she's like a spinning top, right? And everything's feeling like a big deal. And you're like, okay, I've got to address the mood. And I also need to impart information. But like, as you say, surf the mood how do you prioritize? How do you figure out like when to give information and when to just like reassure when you're dealing with the, you know, the tornado coming through the front door? Well, the faster the top where the tornado is spinning, the less information I know she's going to be able to process. Right. So my main goal is how do we slow this down, which might mean, hey, you want to walk out to the mailbox with me while you tell me this story? Or you want to make a snack while you tell me this story? We just do something. And as soon as she starts to move her body, her mood kind of comes into a container that we can manage. Yep. Yep. And I believe in a glass of water. I believe in a glass of water. Mm -hmm. And then I can get to what do you really need to know? And sometimes I just ask her, how much do you want to talk to me about this? Like, do you want me to go into Mm -hmm. the Chinese... (laughs) Communist Party's relationship with Bite Dance as we go. You know what I mean? And I try to make it funny because you know I'm such a nerd, right? I'll be self-deprecating about it. And then she'll say to me, this is what I want today or no, thank you. I just really want to complain about my friends for a second. If the politics are different, right? Like if we're not talking about TikTok, but we're Mm -hmm. talking about like so-and-so's family says this Mm -hmm. about the president, but this is what you say at home. And it's not about like a sort of big, bad corporation, but it gets like a little bit more personal or someone's making fun of your kids' politics or your family's politics. Like, what do you do in that situation when it hits closer to home? Although before you answer, I just want to say, it's a great strategy that you're employing. We always say, ask them what the question is when they throw you, they lob some random question at you and you don't know what to do with it and you need narrowing. You know, that's such an interesting question. What made you ask it? You're the flip side of that coin where you're saying, what do you want to know about this? You tell me, like, I'm going to give you a couple of options. And now you tell me where you want the conversation to go, which is a really beautiful way through. Okay, now you can answer Vanessa's question. Yeah, this comes up for us all the time because uh, their grandmother feels quite differently than we do about a number of topics and is very vocal about that. Mm -hmm. And so when that happens, I try to identify first, like, what is her angle on this? Because someday she's upset by it. Someday she feels kind of superior about it. Like she likes, <laughs> like she knows something that someone else doesn't know. So I try to find her angle again, just like reading that mood. And depending on what her angle is, I choose my response. So if she's coming in with the smugness, like, can you believe these people think that? Then I try to counter it with, well, let's talk about why they might think that. Mm. There are some reasons they didn't pull that out of the air. Mm -hmm. And if she's coming in upset by it, 
then I'll say, well, why don't we think about how we got here? What values of ours support this position that we've taken? And where do we see those values for this other family? They have them too. They're not that different from us. It's just led them to a different place. And that happens. And she is really getting faster at going through that exercise with me because Mm. we do it so often. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added Magnesium Breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. (laughs) And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. But she's also developing her own opinions. Absolutely. You know, as we all know, we have to parent the kid we have and not the kid we want. And the kid we have doesn't necessarily share uh, whether it's our looks, our height, our ability to internalize information in a certain way or our politics. And so, you know, one thing that you guys write about, and I think write about quite beautifully, is the fact that kids are raised in homes where they're steeped in ideals and in value systems. And there's sort of this assumption that it's going to get absorbed by osmosis. And 
you know, as you're raising tweens and teens, you're living this experience where some of it is absorbed and some of it becomes part of their ethos and some of it they're pushing back and they might push back from a more radical position than you take. Even if you think of yourself as liberal, they go right, or they might push back from a more conservative place. And some of their job as tweens and teens is to push back. Yeah. So how do we distinguish that? Because, you know, Vanessa's prompt is, what do you do when things get heated and there's a clear value system? I think the flip side is also a really interesting question, which is, what do you do when they're just testing? And mm. when they're pushing to see how much you believe and why you believe and how far they can push you, just like when they were toddlers, right? I'll tell you what, I don't struggle anywhere near as bad with the pushing with Griffin. That's my oldest son, who's 14, who like, who's super political and super like argumentative and will get into it with me. Like, it's frustrating because, you know, it's tough to argue with your own kid, but I'm not ever mad at him. I'm not like stressed or like, it's, it's fun. Sometimes I don't, I'm not in the mood for it, but it doesn't bother me. It is much harder for me with my 12 year old, my seventh grader, because it's all the way in the other way. He hates conflict. He is not a fast processor. He is introverted. Like the personality difference and like, you know, we're, my husband's an attorney. I'm a political podcaster. Griffin's the oldest. So like, there's a combativeness to our conversations and you can just see my middle, like, I always joke, like when we're in the car and this happens, it's like all he can do not to open the door and duck and roll. Like he hates it. And I'm like, that's what I struggle with. I would, I wish he was like a conservative. I could handle that. But like this, I'm like, I don't know what to do with you, kid. Like, I don't know what to do with you in this household where you're so quiet and you're like, oh, I do not like this. I do not like this conflict. I do. He doesn't seem to show any interest in politics or any of that. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with you at all. And testosterone, by the way, which starts to rise as puberty begins and puberty begins on average between nine and 10 for most boys, testosterone drives boys into a quieter stage. Mm. It dies. I mean, there's no data on that, let me just say, but um, I've written about it extensively and it's, there's only no data because no one will pay for that very unsexy study. What they'll pay for is the study on rage, which is the mm. flip side of that mood swing. And we know testosterone is highly associated with rage. And so as the pendulum goes from rage where it goes to quiet and why does every single 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old boy at some point during that time get quieter, not necessarily yeah. quiet, but quieter. Why did they shut you out? There is a hormonal path through. So if you're already starting with a kid whose temperament from day one was to be a peacemaker and to be mm -hmm. quiet and to be an observer, and then they head into puberty and they get quieter, it's really hard. It's hard because I have to, I can't depend on that skill of like, well, tell me what's wrong. What do you right. want to do? Like, he's like, he'll just, it's like a closed curtain. Sarah, let me ask you a follow-up question. Like, are we obligated as parents to require our kids to engage in sort of political conversations? Like, is there a point where we just say, you know, this kid's not interested or this is uncomfortable for them. Like, is there some sort of ethical obligation to make sure that they are somehow connecting, engaging, processing, considering all of that? Because I keep going back to like, how do we instill our values in them without dictating what their belief system or politics are going to be? Like, how do we ensure ultimately 
we want to raise good human beings, good citizens, good members of our society. And yet we can't tell them, oh, well, you have to vote this way or you have to be this right. kind of person. We just like transmit I mean, some people values. Do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there may have been moments in our household where we've said, if you ever vote X, <laughs> like you can walk out the front door and never come back. Not real, not exactly, but like maybe a little bit. So how do you handle that, Sarah? Like you're dealing with it in your own house. This is your profession. And yet you have someone who's like, oh, dude, I don't want to engage in this. Like I'll, no, I'll talk yeah. to you about anything else. Bless it. And he, you know, it's so funny. I've, I've learned to say, hey, do you just need more time to think of your answer? Like the, back to the like processing speed. But I think the answer is what you said with, and I was thinking that word in my head when you said it, which is connection. I don't need him to be political, but I do need him to be, I need him to be connected to his community. Mm -hmm. That can look a lot of different ways. There are millions and millions and millions of Americans who do not care about politics. They are often swing voters and very powerful inside our electorate. Mm. What a paradox. I don't need him to be passionate about politics. That's just an interest, you know, like everything else, right? And I, I try not to ascribe moral value to that interest. You know, there are other things that affect my life that I don't pay attention to. And so I don't need him to be consumed with it, but I do want him to be connected. And we, you know, we impart our values through a lot of different ways and organizations. I mean, part of the reason we moved back to Paducah is because I wanted Paducah, where I live in, in Western Kentucky, is sort of a, a micropolitan, hmm. and it has a very active civic culture. So he sees his parents participating in organizations. He sees his brother going to the pantry. We go to church. They're in Boy Scouts. Like, there's all these inputs where he can see all these, because that, that's how I grew up with all these adults surrounding me, making me feel like I mattered. How, what I thought about things mattered. Mm -hmm. The decisions I made affected other people and they mattered. And that's what I want to impart to him. And the only way to do that is to show him, not to tell him back to our previous point. But he is my kid who I have to be like, you got to participate. Like, I, like it's worth it. It's worth it to get out there because he would stay and watch anime all day long if I let him for sure. And that might just be the 12-year-old the thing again too. But just giving him that example and showing him not just that we do it, but that we benefit from it. We talk about, I try to talk about a lot, like this is, see, this is why we, I participate in this organization and this is why this is so beneficial to me. And this is why it feels good that, you know, we have these people at church that are rooting for you and, and praying for you. And we just kind of like, again, talk through it, which is probably not the best <laughs> for my slow processing introverted child, but um, I try to do as much of that as we can so that it's, it's bigger than just, I want you to vote this way. Right. I would like the voting to be integrated into the values. Like this is why we show up. This is how we think about how we affect other people in lots of different ways, not just when we show up to the, the voting booth. So I want to move the conversation to the flip side, which is when we're not instilling values, but when we're reacting against certain trends in society. And Beth, we're gonna we're gonna move to the Andrew Tate's of the world. Oh no. <laughs> and so our listeners have heard us talk about Andrew Tate on other podcasts, but essentially he's a, a symbol of the rageful misogynistic culture combined with social media that becomes addictively dangerous to teenage boys. And one of the things that we hear from teen boys is that they feel blamed by our society for like everything that's wrong in the world. Like they feel like they are at fault 
for things that happen centuries before they were born or decades before they were born. And like, no one cares what they think. No one cares how they feel. Like everything is their fault and they should just shut up and sit down. And I'm not going to make assumptions. I raised my children in a feminist household and everyone is equal and everyone's voice matters. But teen boys that we know and we talk to and kids we've worked with are like, I can't catch a break. Like, I don't know what to do. And these guys like Andrew Tate combined with the power of social media are just like dragging them in. How do we address this? How do we parse all of these different worries and feelings they're having and still give them a sense of empathy for the inequities in our world and the history of that and still be like, yeah, it's not your fault, but you need to be aware of this. And also this guy's awful and please don't watch him on YouTube. Like, how do we do all of that? I don't think we do all of that. I think we have to prioritize. So when I think about what I want to instill in my two daughters, it is that I want them to be good thinkers. Doesn't really matter to me where they land on any particular issue, especially at the ages of 12 and 8, they'll change their minds and the world will change. Mm -hmm. I could tell them don't be X party, but who knows what the parties will look like in 20 years. They certainly don't look today like they looked when I was their ages. So I am much less invested in how they would react to an Andrew Tate and more in what questions are they learning to ask as they encounter someone like an Andrew Tate. There will be more of him. I don't fear information. So I would never say, don't watch or listen to this. I would say, if you want to check that out, I would like to check it out with you. Could we do that together? Could we talk about what we saw? Could we talk about what his motivations are, how he makes his money? Who's listening here and what they're taking from this? How does this match what you see in the world? Fortunately, we are surrounded in my neighborhood by just excellent men. Does he sound like these excellent men that you're around, these men who love you? And then the other thing that I talk with them about specifically around this topic is being good to the boys in their lives. Mm. I see, especially in the seventh grade group, that the boys have matured at such a slower rate compared to the girls. And it makes the girls mean about the things that the boys Mm -hmm. are going through. And we're talking about that in some form almost daily right now because she'll come in in that top spinning state Mm -hmm. and tell me a story about a boy that almost always has some aspect of his precarious maturity as a punchline. And so I'm just working really hard here to say I'm not worried about her confidence She has received the feminist message in this house. (laughs) But what I do see is a need to not make the boys feel thrown away because their maturity is behind hers at this stage. And how ironic that the girls are so often more mature and yet they're immature in their reaction to being more mature, right? I would like to dive just a tiny bit deeper into how we can help girls see boys We talk a lot on our podcast about the ungendering of puberty. Puberty is 20% different body parts and different bodies and what's happening in sexual maturation and 80% the path through it all, which is a very shared experience. It's transformation physically, emotionally, socially, and that really doesn't matter what gender you are, everyone's transforming. And I would love for you to talk a little bit more about maybe even the difference between the approach with a 12-year-old and the approach with an eight-year-old in terms of how to see boys and sort of hand them the microphone 
you know, girls are empowered and emboldened, not just under our own roofs, but frankly, by society now to talk about what is happening to them, what is happening to their bodies, what, you know, when they feel victimized, when they, they are empowered. Boys have not been given the microphone in the same way. And so they actually don't have the language around a lot of this. So raising two girls, have you found a way through to have some of those conversations? With my eight-year-old, she loves hanging out with boys. Like she travels in a swarm of kids through our neighborhood with a lot of boys in it. At school, she notices that boys struggle and she feels pressure to help them. And so we talk about how can you be kind, but not feel responsibility for their work? Because I don't want her to fall into the, I support boys for the rest of my life. And that is my duty role (laughs) uh, that I know too well from being a female associate in a law firm. So Mm -hmm. I really try to say to her like, well, his work is not your responsibility, but you can be kind about it and you can make suggestions to him about things that have helped you, but don't take responsibility. With my 12 year old, I do say, look around at what's going on with these boys. I was aware of one boy in a class with her who was really struggling to find friendships because of some new rules about where everyone sat at lunch that have been so dramatic and controversial. And I just encouraged her, like, see this. Again, you don't have to fix it, but I do want you to be aware of it. And I want you to be kind about it. But I am I would like to think more about that passing the microphone because I haven't thought of it in those terms. I'm going to ask about the engendering of puberty because to me that's so interesting because the process is so different time-wise because mm. girls mature so quickly. And I just wonder sometimes, it's like we want to take the power away from gender. Like we want to undercut some of these patriarchal messages. We want to end misogyny. We want to do all these feminist things that I, listen, I was a women's studies minor. I get it, you know? <laughs> but I do wonder if we we make the same mistake that we all read about in Poe Bronson's book, where we said, mm-hmm. teaching the kids colorblind, we strip all the identity out of their race. I worry sometimes we do that with gender. I read Richard Reeves' book. We had him on our podcast of Boys and Men. And I will not forget, it makes me tear up when he said that you can ask boys what's a good thing about being boy and they can't answer it. Mm. Like, I don't want them to see Mm -mm. no gender. I want them to see the strengths of their gender. And so we talk a lot about that at my house. We talk a lot about what are the good things about being a Mm. boy. And I also talk about that with my female friends. Mm -hmm. I say, you know, like I was having a, a conversation with a friend of mine who has three boys And she was like, I just worry, like they're they're taught to suppress their feelings and they don't like feel this way. And I said, you know what? I would have said that five or 10 years ago. But now living in a house with four men and finding some language, some really helpful language around Richard Reese's book, sometimes I think, no, they don't have as many feelings. And sometimes that's a benefit. And I don't (laughs) think we need to tell them that's a weakness. I think we need to tell them like, you know what? The fact that you can dust that comment off and move on is a strength. Lean into (laughs) it. I'm going to learn from that because I could (laughs) use that sometimes. You know, like, so I'm really trying to articulate those strengths and say like, it is a good thing to be a boy. Men offer lots and lots of things and not just patriarchy to our dang society. I really like that that pushback because I think one way of seeing things is there's this pie, right? There's this pie of 
everything can be put into a pie. Information can be put into a pie. Self-esteem can be put into a pie. The microphone of puberty can be put into a pie. And if you give more to one, you by definition take from Mm -hmm. another. And that is not an appropriate way to see this issue. And it is not an appropriate way, frankly, to see anything that you talk about in terms of politics either. And why we as a society make everything a zero-sum game and everything is a pie that's divisible in exactly one way. And if you recarve, someone else loses. It's ridiculous. And so the ungendering of puberty, the idea behind it is not to take away those attributes that go along with having certain body parts or certain hormones coursing through your body. It's just to say that if we can help girls to be able to talk about their periods and talk about bodily autonomy and talk about it all, there's space also to encourage boys to do the same and to not demonize that. One gender doesn't get to own the microphone. We can share it. And so I like your reframe because it's not really ungendering, is it? It's just resetting a new normal. Well, and I wonder how y'all talk about this because it's it's another thing that I think Richard Reeves names really well, which is, and certainly in terms of puberty, that there are so many like definitive biological events in female Mm -hmm. puberty that are not as, def- like, you don't have your, your I mean, I guess you do have your first <laughs> erection, but not really. Like, little baby boys wake up with erections in the morning, you know? Like, as opposed to, like, a first period, right? Like, it's such this definitive thing. It's and visible it, to the it's world. It's visible. There's products mm-hmm. you purchase. People, people have parties. I didn't get one. I'm still sad about that. <laughs> like, I would have liked one. And so, like, I think it, that's what I struggle with with boys is, like, and listen, a lot of time, it is my, I'm going to tear up again. It is my 14-year-old leading the way. Like, he can do that. He's so good at it. He's so emotionally intelligent and he will own it and he will, you know, express things. And the next moment he'll be like, you're overreacting. You know, like, that's not, I'm not upset about that. You're upset about it, not me. And like, he can really move back and forth more fluidly between, you know, these sort of stereotypes that we have about boys and girls and puberty generally. I really work with my three to name it and articulate it and and find places where they can express it, where we're not just talking about it, like that they can find some space for the positivity around boys. Like, again, not to just continue to drop Richard Reeves' name, but like I am a big fan of Boy Scouts just like he is. I think it te- like it, it gives them space to see those things and to articulate those things because the, you can't just say like, it's not enough to look at them and say, it's not all your fault. It's not a lot, not to say like, you're not worthless. You have to find a space for it to articulate the value and the worth. And I think we've done that so well with girls and we continue to find new and beautiful ways to articulate the power of femininity and the worth that girls bring to every room that they enter. And I think that there is some space to do that with boys, which I know makes, I mean, it's going to make people's hair catch on fire because of that pie we do, because we say like, there's patriarchy. Why do we need to do this? You know, I get it. Again, women's studies minor. It's hard for me too. So if you can't tell, dear listener, we are all incredibly passionate about these subjects and also all have really different approaches and Mm -hmm. styles. And it's a perfect demonstration of how we can transmit values and beliefs and love for our kids in really (laughs) different ways. I mean, I would love to be a fly on the wall of everyone else's house besides mine. Um, (laughs) And 
just see how everybody's like doing it differently. Mm-hmm. But the point of the conversation is that we need to do it. We need yeah. to engage with our kids. We need to share our values. We need to show them and not just tell them. We need to be curious about their thoughts and their experiences and what they're noticing rather than just lecturing them and moralizing, which I do all the time. Um, so okay. me too. <laughs> Beth and Sarah, we are so grateful. To, you guys are awesome. No wonder you have such a badass podcast because you oh, are you. both brilliant and funny and fascinating and generally just wonderful human beings. So thank you guys so much for coming on. And I hope everyone listening feels empowered to go into this year with optimism and a recommitment to engaging with our kids on these topics. Thank you so much. Thank you. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com yet. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to find the perfect Father's Day card? Dad deserves better than a drugstore card. This year, surprise him with a special personalized card from Moonpig. You can add your favorite photos and a heartfelt message. Plus, no more worrying about stamps or going to the post office, because we'll mail it for you the same day. Every dad deserves a Moonpig card. Get your first card free with code PODCAST at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com